Hi, welcome to this Property Life podcast. My name is Mark Winship. I'm a property investor, coach, and mentor. And each week, my friends and I talk to active investors who are making waves in the UK property market. This week, I'm talking to Asad Tariq. Asad is a commercial property whirlwind. Spoiler alert, this is one of our longest episodes so far. So put down whatever you're doing, put the kettle on because you are about to get a masterclass in commercial property investment and creating opportunities within emerging markets. Assad is abundance mindset personified, and I know you're about to have your minds blown. So without any further ado, let's hear now from Assad Tariq. Morning, Assad. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Hi, good morning, Mark. I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good. I'm really good, thank you. I've been really, really looking forward to speaking to you on the uh, on the podcast today. I always look forward to speaking to all my guests. It's I'm like a kid in a sweet shop doing this job. It's it's fantastic. The the, the variety of people that I get to speak to and learn from, and and um, you know, I, I feel so privileged to be able to do that. But I've been really looking forward to speaking to yourself, particularly as I know that you're your primary strategy in commercial property is a really fascinating one and I can't wait to get into that with you as we go through but um, before we sort of get on to that I don't know if you could actually just give us a bit of a background about yourself and you know where you where you came from how you got into property how you got started and, and just yeah just take us right back to the beginning. Yeah thank you Mark for having me on here Um so yeah so my name's Assad and um, I'm one of the PWS trainers and um, mentors as well. So my main focus is on commercial property. So we focus on commercial property and also new builds. So we're doing basically build to hold, build to rent, um, and we're focusing on commercial property such as industrial units, the retail stores, focusing a lot on the high street um, and what the major developments are happening in the local area. So... <clears throat> How I got into property, so we'll take we'll start off from here. So I actually got started off in property about 13, 13 years ago now. And um, I was actually thrown into the property market in the deep end. So I was studying and just a young kid that was doing online business, so eBay, Amazon. Um, it was just a start off in the business in, in the world of e-commerce at the time. So it was something that I went into enjoyed the e-commerce business, done it as a side business, studying at the time at university as well. And we went into financial, well, my dad went into financial difficulty. So he ended up going under the 2007 recession it was, I think it was, when a lot of people went down under. So RBS called in the loans, he lost all his properties and basically went into severe like depression and everything just basically went downwards. So for me, it was really just come on board, either save the family or we just watch everything go. Um, so basically, I came on board and I was like, okay, dad, look, I'm going to help you. I've got an online business, which is running here. I will carry this on as a passive income coming in from here as well. So we'll, we'll keep this running as it is and we'll just try and grow our business from here. So I took over the business. I became a director in his um, company. We started trying to get it out of the water. Didn't manage to get it out of the water. It was just too much of problems between RBS and their overdraft. They basically pulled in everything. All accounts were closed and everything just went down under. Mm. So I did get thrown into the deep end, but the benefit that I got was 
that it taught me a lot. So I was like 17, 18 at the time when every bank I was going to, they would probably just, most of them would just turn around and say, sorry, you're going under this. We're, the, the, there's a recession going on. We're not going to open your bank accounts. We're not going to open your businesses. So it was a really, really difficult time. It was a lot of challenges that we went through. Um, but we ended up getting through it all. And eventually we got our bank. Um, I ended up getting a good relationship with Together Finance. I think they used to be called Freedom Finance back in the days. Um, so they were basically, they came on board, they started looking at mortgages. I was dealing with um, liquidators and receiverships at the time. Um, and again, it all like it all comes out like through the story. So we like the accountant that we had at the time, I'm still working with the same accountant. Um, he started off having three, he had maybe 10, 15 clients, small accountant firm. And now he's got like over two, 3,000 clients. He's actually one of the biggest accountants in Scotland now. Um, but the benefit is I've grew with him. I've got that relationship with him. Um, and now he's one of the top, top accountants. And it's just a matter of phone and picking up the phone and speaking to him. So having that relationship is key. Um, again, solicitors. So the solicitor that we were using at the time, he's now retired. So we brought him on as a consultant. He asked if he could consult our firm. So we brought him on as a consultant. So he helped us through the whole process. He came on as a consultant. He was part of our power team as well now. Same with the receivers. So the receiver that we were working with at the time, um, I can't remember the name of it, but they were, we, we started working with them directly. We found out how to work with the receivers, how to be buying commercial property off them. Other opportunities started coming out. And we just started discussing with them as well. And again, there he he then went on to KPMG, which was one of the biggest firms in the UK, like worldwide, um, as a high up post. So again, we had good relationships in there with these guys. Um, and it's really just about building that network of people. We went through the hardship. We started building up these the the reputation with these people, and eventually we started buying back property. So we ended up getting one property, then other property. We actually thought at the time that we were going to lose everything. Well, we did lose everything. So it was really just a matter of how can we save our family and how can we basically survive. That was the goal at the time. So we went through the process and I ended up speaking with Together Finance, got them on board um, and that was it. So I started buying things on Bridge as a house and then eventually the house deal went, we went through, we'd done it up, we started getting bits and pieces done to it as an exit strategy to rent out. But if worse comes to worse as a family home and then dealing with the liquidators, we ended up buying the family home back. So then I had two properties. So I was like, right, okay, we've got our family home. This property can now be rented out. And same with um, industrial places. So we had a couple of industrial units and things. So again, they, were, they would have been lost. We had, but the business was running, the online businesses were running from there. So again, we basically bought other ones and then the liquidators were dealing with us. These ones, we ended up buying these off them as well. So it was really, just, it was a hard time, but we ended up coming out of the other end of, instead of just having that couple of units like a house and a shop or a house a shop and a warehouse whatever we came out having multiple um, properties because i got that experience I enjoyed it got that momentum um and that was it um that's how i got started into the property journey and then once i was in there it was just it became like a passion for me um yeah. and i started just learning like all the different types of properties getting the right education from people as well doing online courses, coming to the like, the PWS group and just doing as much as you can to basically learn about the property. Um, and I was really fortunate to get a lot of 
high up entrepreneurs and business people that came on side with us and started mm. helping out as well and guiding us the right way. Um, and that's when we started a business called, so what, from here, we one of the properties that we bought needed windows. So the windows that we were putting in were about 60, 70,000 pound costs from the UK to bring the windows in. So we ended up going to Europe, finding a supplier for the windows, brought the windows in for a, probably less than half the price. And they were much better quality once they came to the UK. And for me, it was just, it was just like a, Totally nothing special. It was just I need to I need to find windows for this property. I'm not spending 60 to 70 grand on the windows. So we went away, we found the windows, got the supplier, brought the windows back here. And again, when the architect seen the windows, the builder saw the windows, they were like, these windows are amazing quality. Like we need to start selling them in the UK. So that was it. So we started that's where Ecoline Windows. So that's one of our companies that that's where that came from. So we then made a showroom and started selling windows. Um, again with the building side never had any experience in the building game it was literally just like painting no experience as a builder um but by building this house we went through bad builders cowboy builders but i just ended up finding the right team eventually we ended up going through all the guys got the right teams together and once the whole process had complete the house was finished took about three years um, it was actually for a bed and breakfast, so it had the fire alarms, the fire doors, everything was done as a, um, as a bed and breakfast, high-end bed and breakfast. Um, and at that time, all the builders that we were using and electricians, they were really close with us. They, they, we'd formed like a really good team. So we'd start getting the questions from other people in the community, like, have you got a roofer? Have you got a plasterer? Have you got a painter? Have you got somebody that can come and fit our kitchen? So it was just at that stage, I was like, do you know what? I'm giving people away all these numbers. Maybe I should just become the main contractor and then subcontract all the work out. So I'd done it for a couple of projects. Um, and we got the feedback that we got back was just phenomenal. Like, oh my, like there's one person that we contact. He comes in, he prices the work, buys the material, finishes the project. It's high quality work. The guys are on time. There's everything's there's no messing around everything's done perfectly so we've done two three projects like this and from there i was like right okay this is actually something that i'm enjoying and then the architects started recommend new builds to us can we price this so from here we built our project up with having qs's involved and we just grew the business like the, the property business um to a qs who's on board with us our consultant was on board with us we then had a health and safety executive who done all our our, all the health and safety paperwork, so our notifications to them, and then all the all the booklets for health and safety that are required, like the CDM. And so they all came on board, and we they were like our in-house team. And then from there, we had subcontracted all the guys out, so they all worked for us as subcontractors through our insurances and things. Mm. Uh, we started doing bigger projects, and from there we got um, we went with QAssure. So QAssure are backed up by Lloyds. It's a warranty company, same as NHBC. So you've got NHBC, QAssure, there's loads of different warranty companies out there, but we ended up choosing QAssure. Um, and the reason for it was is because they worked with companies like Cala Homes, Springfield Homes, and these are more of the high-end builders. So we thought, you know what? These guys are working with the high-end builders. They're a little bit more expensive, but having that branding behind us could be good. So we ended up going into them and we ended up doing QAssure approvals as a builder for Ecoline Windows. And then for Assad's properties, we had our um, 
developer QS your um, certificate as well. So we've now got two, so we can actually go on board and just be a developer, like just buy the site, hold the site, and then yeah. sell it on, or we can actually fully build out the whole process start to finish. So we got our QSure approvals, new home, new consumer home approvals and things. And that was it. We started doing new builds. And then from there, I thought, do you know what? We're building all these houses for other people. Maybe we should build them for ourselves. So that's when Nick came up, was on board with me as well. So Nick Claydon was on board and he was like, look, Assad, um, what you're doing is phenomenal. You're taking on these huge, huge projects and it's amazing what you're doing within the, I've not even spoke to you about the industrial stage yet, but what you're doing is phenomenal. But what I want you to, what we should really be looking at doing here is maybe holding the properties instead of you flipping them on. So for me, residential wasn't really a big thing at the time. Like I was into industrial commercial. So we were, our, the returns that we were looking at were like, you're looking at a, a warehouse, 140, 150,000 pound a year rental income. And then doing exactly the same for a small unit. I was like, why would I want to get two, three hundred pound buy to let coming in? But I'm really glad that it was something that Nick had sat down with. Look, you need to change your mindset. You have to pivot. And look, we've seen it with the pandemic. Like, yeah, all the different changes happen in the economy. You have to have different avenues of income. Um, so we ended up changing our policy to like build to rent. So build to rent, build to the holiday home. So everything that we're trying to do now is building to hold for our own company. Um, yeah. And that is basically where Ecoline Windows is sitting at, Ecoline Windows and Homes. That's our building, builder company. We build things out. We hold, we then, for Assad's properties, and Assad's properties holds the project. And that's basically the way that we're running our business. Um, and the property companies, we then just grow the, grew the portfolio. So I was into like shops and retail and industrial units. Um, so yeah, so it was just buying and holding like, like I mentioned to you there, like we we seen the returns were a lot stronger in the industrial estate. Um, so like one of the warehouses that we bought, they had like a, um, the rates, the, the rates on that building were about 40, 40 to 50,000 pounds. Can't remember on top of my head, but they were about 40,000 pounds a year. So we bought the unit and we got hit with the rates. So straight away, we got a rates assessor then we split the unit into one, into three units. Uh, we got rid of the the rates by the small business rates relief because yeah. the rates have reduced. Once all this was done, we ended up advertising the spare unit. Got tenants to come on board instead of getting two pound a square foot. The square footage would went up to like three pound, three fifty a square foot. So over like a forty, fifty thousand square foot building, it makes a huge difference. Every pound makes a huge difference. So we were like, right, okay, this is good. So we've saved on the rates. We're getting a higher rental income. Right, okay, let's see how it goes. And then over the period, we ended up splitting the units into even smaller units. So between the minimum size of 3,000 square foot up to about 15,000 square foot units, depending on the requirements of our tenants. So we used this formula and just started looking at buying industrial units, splitting them up, and then renting them out um, individually. It's self-managing everything as well. Um, and by doing that, our rental income had went because there were like 3,000 units, 4,000 square foot units, the prices had then went up to like £4 a square foot, £4.50 a square foot. So the overall yield and return on investment just grew, grew, grew. So for mm. me, I'd seen this as a potential cookie cutter model that we can just carry on, focus on, and went straight under the, the commercial side. And again, like for me, it was more about commercially like all the benefits that you can get with it then, isn't it? Yeah. So, 
started seeing all the different benefits and just implementing everything onto the business. Amazing. Oh, well, I think you've blown some minds already, Asad. <laughs> With your, I mean, it's that was a baptism of fire, right, for you to get started in property in that way. Most people come into this process and uh, find it, finally they've got lots of challenges to get up and running and to scale from a standing start, but you almost had a, a negative start, didn't you? You almost started from behind the start line in yeah. terms of having to rescue a business, turn things around. And there'll be a lot of people listening to everything you've just said and thinking, well, how how did you know all of this stuff? How did you know what to do? But it sounds like the key, and I've realized this, I think within our our property business as well, the key is the fact that as an investor, you don't need to shoulder everything. You don't need to know everything yourself. It's about the people yeah. that you surround yourself with. It's yeah. about your power team. And, you know, I'm lucky to have surrounded myself with people who know a lot more about their particular aspect than I could ever know. And you leverage off of those people. And and it sounds like that's how you've you've been able to grow from that point. Is that fair to say? Yeah, 100 percent, Mark. And like from what I can see is it does not matter what scenario you're coming into business. If if your your parents are multimillionaires or you're coming broke or you're coming from problems like what we did. It's all about having that goal, that mindset, that drive. And the yeah. biggest thing that I've seen is, like you said, is using your power team and leveraging your power team because you yeah. can't know everything. So if you want to try and know everything, you're just going to be stuck. You need to understand how everything works. You need to understand yeah. the business model, but leveraging your power team is key. Um, but what I, what the biggest thing to build your power team is loyalty. You have mm. to be honest and loyal. I think if you've got honesty and loyal behind you, it just opens yeah. up different doors. Um, there's a lot of crooks. There's a lot of bad things happening in the property world. People are trying to like get a one over the other one instead of working as a community and working together as a business. There's a lot of competition in the property side. So yeah. like what we've noticed is by having that relationship like with your subcontractors, with your project managers, with your lawyers, your accountants, it just forms... Like the, what they say is like one person is one person, but two is the equals equals to twenty people, isn't it? As a mm. as a full team. So like having that power team behind you just really just gives you the the advantage to grow your portfolio yeah. really really quickly. Um, and for me, like my accountant um, is the same accountant. Then mm. our lawyer who was at the beginning has now become a consultant for us. He. Yeah has obviously been a lawyer for so many years, so he's now got top, top lawyers who are working for us, but he will basically check everything, send it to the solicitors, and then they'll just sign it off. Um, yeah. our, same with our um, project manager, so he's now been working with us for about eight years, 10 years. So he, like, every single person that we are looking at has not been someone that we've worked with for a, a short period. And again, with the commercial side, we started off with um, Together Finance, but we then moved on to the high street banks. And again, when we went to the high street banks, every single high street bank would turn their nose at you and say, no, we're not taking this risk. We're not taking this risk. You're too young. You're too young. Together took that risk, right? Mm. And that property then that we bought went from like two, 300,000 pounds to turning over a couple of hundred thousand pounds a year rental income. The property portfolio doubled itself in value because we added so much value to the properties. Yeah. So after the two years went by, the, the accounts and the reports were good. 
Um, and at that time, again, it's just that relationship that you're building through my accountant. He introduced me to a chap called Ian Jessup, and I've got a lot of respect for him. He's an older guy. He's now retired, but he he came on board from our accountant, and we told him the whole story up front. This is what's happened. This is what I've done, and this is where I need to get to. And at that time, Ian Jessup was an ex-Clydesdale bank manager, and he introduced me to the Bank of Scotland. Mm. And the commercial manager and the bank of scotland's commercial manager was actually one of the he's one of the top top bankers right now like in scotland for the commercial and the property side introduced me to him told him this is what's going on this is how they've done it this is what's happened in the past can you take them on as a client and honestly adam looked at the paperwork we were actually chatting about this just a few weeks ago and uh, we were at a starbucks having a coffee and we we're just like how life changes at different stages like so adam when he started he was just a banking manager like a commercial manager he's now one of the top property managers for bank of scotland and um, and we've grown with him over time and as soon as he's seen what we were doing ian jessup gave him his word and he just took us on as a client and that was mm. it and then we started refinancing things with bank of scotland and grew our portfolio from there yeah no oh, that sounds fascinating um and i think that you're What's what's really come across to me is, you know, once you have got that mindset of multiple streams of income and diversification, you start seeing opportunities kind of left, right and centre, don't you? And, and that's that that's what's really coming across is that, you know, you, you, you saw the opportunity to, to source the windows at a better price and start creating a business around that. And once your mindset starts to go down that rabbit hole, as it were, then you, you just start to see opportunities everywhere you look right and I think that seems to be a big part of your philosophy isn't it that diversification you know to a certain extent spreading your risk but it's about multiple streams of income isn't it yeah definitely so it's having these like we've all from hopefully everyone's read but reading rich rich dad poor dad so that's basically having these multiple types of income coming out is super yeah. super super important for all of us yes. um and we've seen this we're 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 actually lucky to see this during the pandemic of what can actually happen yeah. um, and how we can protect ourselves from this. So like we've done the service, like, we, like we've done the, the houses over in Sky. So they were holiday lets and everything was going great. The marketing was great. Everything looked amazing. As soon as the COVID pandemic hit, the Sky Bridge was closed. And if you weren't living in the, in, in the, in the island, you weren't allowed in. Um, yeah. so the development fund uh, finance has to be paid monthly. The debt has to be serviced and you've got no rental income coming in. So again, like it's made a huge impact. Like our architect lost good money on that one as well. Like, mm. if, like he, he was under a lot of pressure. He had to try and get his, his income in. We were under pressure. We had to get our money in. So it just became such difficult times. And then mm. another thing that we noticed was the commercial side, everyone was like commercial, the businesses are going to close down, there's going to be a lot of bad debt from industrial. We actually found the opposite. So with our commercial side, by just working with our tenants and having a good relationship and offering them anything that they needed, like breaks and things for the rent, nobody even took them on board. Most mm. people got their commercial grants and they got all their money in from the from the government and they did carry on paying the rental and rent rents and things the yeah. rates were already removed so we actually noticed even though these businesses had closed down they were still paying us because they had got the rent the, the grant through from the government yeah um, and then again with 
the some of the tenants like the gyms so we had leisure the gyms were totally closed but then people like the trucking companies and storage companies and transport like all of these guys were actually open throughout the whole pandemic because they yeah. became key workers so yeah. it's just about understanding how the economy works you want to try and even if you're in the industrial you don't want to stick all the same tenants in one unit you want to try and diversify that so even if the business does flop or there is a pandemic we've got different streams of income coming in yeah that makes so much sense and i wanted to ask you about that because you're coming into this with quite a unique perspective because um a lot of a lot of investors come in through the residential space and come in with a residential mindset a lot of our listeners will be looking to do the same so when we talk about commercial property there your mind automatically goes to commercial to residential now obviously you you came into this almost more from the commercial and industrial side of things and yeah. and bolted on residential as as a, like an additional strategy so yeah. when it comes to commercial to commercial so so industrial units commercial property i don't know whether a lot of people would be nervous around that area because of everything we hear in the mainstream media about the plight of the high street and everything going on to online and all that side of things so what's your perspective on that in terms of you know that space and um you know we we hear so many scare stories about high streets closing down and retail struggling and everything else but clearly that's an area that you're doing particularly well out of so what's your take on that and what's your strategy around that side of things so the retail business and um, the overall high street business there is a change so i wouldn't say the high street is dying the high street is changing so okay. that and when things are when things are going through a difficulty that's when there's opportunities for us investors. So most people that you speak to and most property developers that you're speaking to are investors, they always look at the property. How can I convert this to residential? So they've yeah. always got the same. And now with the cost of building material, the cost of um, the, the labor, the time, when you're looking at a normal, I don't know in your area what the costs are, but we are looking at converting from res commercial to residential is working out between eight to 900 pounds a square meter um for a conversion and then if you're doing the new builds we're looking at about 12 to 1500 pounds a square meter now so the prices have went up quite high over the years um so not always you can get the city you, you can't before you could convert offices to residential and then there was a lot of equity in it and things but now there's actually these changes coming in so the cost is increasing the values haven't increased as much so i think for us investors we need to try and diversify our thinking so how can we keep the high street as a high street um, and what you were saying to me about amazon so like for us what we are trying to do here we're trying to e-commerce is like a big thing and i am into e-commerce and i, I love e-commerce it's like something that i've got everybody who who's works with me it doesn't matter who it is if it's my family it's friends if it's anyone who's working with me i'm always trying to convince them do something on online do e-commerce do e-commerce and um, so my wife's doing it my father's doing it i've got loads of friends and family and just teaching them how to do it and i've been in the e-commerce business from when i was like 17 18. um i don't do it on my own i sold the business a few years back for a good amount of money but the reason i done that was because i couldn't focus solely on the property business so I was more into like, okay, the mentoring side, the coaching side, 
helping um, grow the, the portfolio, spend more time doing developments, being out there. So I kind I just sold it, and but my family are still doing like online businesses. So you need to understand that Amazon is taking over the world or has taken over the online retail market. So what we want to do is whenever we're looking at the high street as a property investor, we want to look at what's not going to work online. So we want to look at the opposite. So we need to be Amazon proof it. That's what we always say. We want to try and Amazon proof everything. Um, And then what we want to do is we're talking to that and Amazon proofing in more detail, but Amazon proofing it and then working with what do Amazon need? Yeah. So Amazon needs sellers to come online and sell their products. So again, that's a market for us commercial guys. We can find industrial units, put our um, e-commerce sellers in there. So there is an opportunity to come in. So looking at as a commercial side, yeah, there's Amazon there, but look at all the benefits. Amazon, what do Amazon say? Like even what do the Amazon sellers need? So we can then supply them an industrial unit. We can supply them with tape, with fragile stickers, with cardboard boxes, padlocks, storage facility. So when you start looking at the back, there is money to be made from everywhere. It's just what angle you want to go down. Um, you yeah. just look at FRI lease, like full repairing insurance lease. You rent the unit out, and the te- the guy can do what he wants, selling his products on Amazon, or it could be going into more information, more into more detail like supplying them all the information and making a business out of that industrial unit and having multiple e-commerce sellers in there um, and then that's another stream of income then from here you can start increasing your income by providing them courier services so you can have contracts with couriers to come and collect the products from your properties and your subcontract sub subbing all the work out so it costs you for example with royal mail two pound a parcel but you're charging two pound thirty pence a parcel so you're making profit from every parcel that they're selling on Amazon. Yeah. So really about diversifying your thinking and the industrial, like how can we use what the current economy is to our advantage? Yeah. That's key. And then when it comes to the high street, how could we future-proof the high street? So things in the high street, which are Amazon can't take over. So for example, a dentist, everyone has to go to the dentist physically to get our teeth checked out, right? So we can start looking at opening more dentists, working with franchises, looking at looking at building a brand. So most of these dentists which are out there, they own the building, they'll kit it out to a certain standard and then each chair is then rented out or is given to a brand and the brand will come in and take over the, the signage and then they take over the building, brand it under their own name and then they'll rent out each chair individually. So if you notice every dentist that we go into, the same dentist that you work with is always in the same room. So he's in the one building, but they're always in that one room. That's his room. He's renting that room for a period of time from that company. So mm. we can more business like in the dentist or opticians. Opticians are moving online. So you do see a lot of companies which are online now, but they don't physically do the eye test. They still need you to go out, get your eye test, get your prescription, upload it online, but they have their virtual um camera system that you can try the glasses on and look at the glasses and which is great but at the end of the day you still need to yeah. go and do your eye test so opticians are never going to go out food coffee shops starbucks are popping up everywhere starbucks are investing hugely in the high streets and things so like food yeah. is always going to be required so looking at properties 
like, is there a Greggs in the area? If there's not a Greggs in the area, can we approach Greggs and come into the area, find out who, the, who who's dealing with these franchises and seeing where they're requiring, where they're looking to acquire new new properties? Um, mm. So it's just understanding the market and what's required. So I think when you're in commit, when you're in when we, in any property investment journey, we always talk about understand your area, understand your market, do your market research. That's key, isn't it, Mark? We all know yeah. that. This is what everyone. This is what we have to do as an investor. Yeah. Where it comes to commercial, I would say you need to go into a little bit more detail, understanding what's required in the area. So you need to be working back to front. What's missing in the high street? What can you bring to the high street? What business can be successful in this area? And then from there, once you understand that it's going to work, that's when you start approaching the commercial companies to start coming on board because you want to make sure, okay, if I'm bringing in a Greg's, I need to make sure that Greg's is going to have enough footfall so that they're successful. And if they're successful, that's going to then get pay my rent. And if they're successful and there's more footfall coming in because KFC, McDonald's or Greg's are coming to the area, then we can then buy more property in that area because the footfall's already increased. So it's really just understanding the market and working with the end mm. in mind. So how do you do that research? So is that just intuition and experience on your part? Or, you know, do you have key members of your power team that are involved in sort of assessing, you know, what, what an area requires? You know, how if, if someone were looking to, um, I guess, get started or was interested in investing in that commercial space, what advice would you have for them about how to assess where there are niches that they could you know, exploit within the area they're looking at. Yeah. So, Mark, looking at things like this, so I can give you an example, a good example for you, right? So the council. So the council is key. So you, if yeah. you've got that relationship with the council, check what their reset, what they are doing as a development in the area. They've got huge infrastructure changes coming to the area. Just keep an eye on them. Yeah. Follow the market. Read the new local newspaper. Like, for example... I was literally just sitting in the office last night and I was like, I think Greg's really need to come on board and open up drive-throughs. Like mm. they're missing an opportunity here. And that was yesterday that I said this. And this morning, you know, like what Facebook's like, it just captures everything that you're talking about. This morning, as soon as I went online, base um, Greg's are opening their first drive-through in Dalkeith in Edinburgh. So to me, yeah. that's phenomenal because I'm. We're working with other bakers who have took on the same strategies, opening drive-throughs around Scotland um, and England, and it's the new big thing, right? So all of us know that drive-throughs are hugely increasing. The sales are increasing. The demand's increasing, especially through the pandemic and all these. And I, we've seen everyone wants to just go to a drive-through because it's safe, it's easy, it's quick. So drive-throughs are now popping up around the areas. So if you know that drive-throughs are a good business, why not use this model to try and look for other opportunities? So for yeah. me, we are looking at a lot. So like we're in, we've got an option on a site um, in West Lothian. So we've seen the site. There's a primary school there. There's an ASDA here. It's an unmanned ASDA. So it's the one where you just go and put your credit card and you pay yeah. for your phone and you leave. So they've obviously done this because there's not enough population here at the moment right but for me there's no coffee shop in asda there's no as an unmanned area outside there is a primary school there is a 
Um, a pub and restaurant now opened up there, but there's a whole strip of land at the front, which is empty. So as soon as we drove past, we were like, right, we need to get a drive-through here. Like this has this this location is for a drive-through. So straight away, we were on the phone to our consultants. We were on the phone to our, our power team. Like, look, this is an opportunity. We need to get a Costa, a Starbucks, a Tim Hortons. We need to get someone on board here. We can get two or three on to basically come to the area. What's your thoughts? And again, it's about once you know that that area is up and coming and is going to work, then you're going in for plan. You're taking the option on the site. We're going in for planning. Then once we've got planning approved, we then approach the operators or we can speak to the operators up front and ask them like, what's your thoughts like most of them are using agents so speak to the agent see what they want but in the commercial like, industry like the key the key factor is it's not like your residential like, you need to have that relationship with your commercial agents so yeah. once you know what you're going to be focusing on if it's drive-throughs if it's going to be the high street like there's so many areas like commercial is such a big big open investment opportunity for people like you've got industrial you've got your your high streets you've got your business offices there's just such a huge amount of variety that you can do you yeah. need to you need to focus on what you want to specialize in yeah and then once you focus on it it's just building that relationship up yeah. so for us having the commercial agents is number one so we will yeah. most commercial agents that we'll give them they'll, they'll charge us a retainer fee like one percent so we will look, you tell them as a sourcing agent, I'm looking for a business center and this is what I need. This is the requirements. They will then go out and look at the market, what's off market, what other surveyors have got. They've got a relationship with other surveyors. So they'll speak to them and then they'll come back with opportunities saying we've got this property, this property that meets your criteria. And then they charge you like a 1% retaining fee for, for, for sourcing you that property. But mm that's big agents like these guys have got huge portfolios like graham and sybil dm hall Ryden. you've got all these huge huge companies which are out there and they offer these opportunities but they don't go out telling everyone that we will give you this facility and they won't do it for everyone either because they don't want to be wasting their time so mm -hmm. about building that relationship up with your commercial agents once you've built that relationship with them they will start giving you other opportunities and then, for example, for us with this one, straight away we are on the phone to our agent saying, look, we know you're working with Starbucks at the moment, and could you put a proposal in for us and see what their thoughts are on this location? They would then come back and say, right, okay, it's a good one, or it's not a good one. Our planning consultant, who we use at the moment, he works with um, a lot of bakeries and drive throughs He's done a lot of investment with, um, with fuel stations like BP, Shell, um and he's done a lot of work with um with what do you call them again like the kfc's and all these kind of brand brands he's done a lot of work with these companies right now doing planning applications for them and again we'll just say to him what's your thoughts could you propose this to your team and see what they think would they maybe be interested in it so even like coming to the market as a new one <clears throat> big key takeaway that you can take from that is build your relationship with your commercial agents yeah. because they are going to be the ones that are going to give you the opportunities, find you the tenants, bring in the income for you. So that's the guys that we want to get on our side. Yeah, no, it makes so much sense that that was kind of the reason why I asked the question because I, you know, I know a lot of people listening to this will be inspired by what you're saying, and I don't want the take-home message to be, 
hey, Assad said there's loads of money to be made in commercial property and there's a there's a boarded up shop down the road. So let's buy that and we'll figure out what to do with it afterwards. There's a huge yeah. amount of work that goes into yeah, yeah. understanding the yeah. area, what's needed and everything yeah. before you sort of dip your toe into it. And like you said, that applies to all strategies, right? You know, all we're... Time. We're buying a well. We bought and, and are converting a hotel down in down on the south coast, and there'll be a lot of people who know that uh, the the bulk of our service accommodation operations in the Midlands, and will have gone. Well, that's that's a bit random that you, you've picked up a property down there and looking at that. Well, there's nothing random about it. You know that the yep. amount of research that went into the local economic report, the implications of the free port initiative that Rishi Sunak introduced, yep. um, developments to the local infrastructure, extension to the airport runway, all of these sort of things are factored into your analysis as to whether that is a market that you want to get into. Exactly. Exactly. And it's exactly the same, like what I was mentioning to you, Mark, there as well about the council. So like when we are buying industrial units, we are looking at what's coming to the area. So one of the uh, the buildings that we've took on, um, we knew that there was going to be a new junction coming here on the M8 corridor between Glasgow and Edinburgh. We knew yeah. that they're pla- the planning, they've not granted a KFC or anything like that at the time. They're granted industrial, retail, filling station, leisure. So they were allocated spaces off the motorway that the council had um, put in. So we had seen these plans, we're on the portals, we're looking at the new junction. And seven years later, you've got Heartlands Motorway Junction, which is on the main main motorway corridor. It's probably one of the nicest junctions mm. between Glasgow and Edinburgh, right? And you've got a KFC there now, you've got a Starbucks drive through you've got McDonald's. You've got a garage with Greggs and Shell petrol station with a spa and everything inside. You've got the London Oil State. So, sorry, not the London Oil. Uh, yeah, it is the London Oil State. Their biggest warehouses there. Shoes warehouses coming up. And there's all new developments coming up in that area now. So it was understanding that market beforehand. And then again, yeah. there's houses, developments, heartlands. It was allocated space for housing, over a thousand housing in that area. And that's coming to an end as well. So all these houses are now complete and it's a totally different area. Like when you drive through, you just you can't imagine that yeah. that's the same place as what we bought seven years ago. You just yeah. it just it blows your brain, but it's just about understanding. So like when we bought, it was probably the worst area. It was the most run down area. Nobody wanted to be putting industrial units because they thought they're going to be getting broken into all the time and have problems all the time. But we had the opposite. So we, what we done was we went, yeah, it is a rough area. How can we protect it? Right, okay, let's put external security in place. So by putting, we put like external alarm systems so that if anyone comes through the fence, the alarm goes off before they can even damage the property. So I think two, three times somebody crossed the fence and the alarm went off and they never even attempted to break into the building because the alarm had already activated before they touched the building. So it's just about protecting your properties and protecting everything. So we are looking at the area, we're like, right, okay, it is a rundown area. There is a future here, right? Mm. We can hold it, but how can we protect our tenants so that they're yeah. okay here? And then we put electronic yeah. gates outside and floodlights and security cameras. And it's yeah. just, so there is, there's every, op, every, model is going to have the problems every model is going to have issues but it's about us creating opportunities and working towards it so once you've got your focus that i want to be working in retail or i want to be working in the industrial you can then start growing your business from there 
Yeah. Um, if a, another opportunity, like I can, like a little nugget for everyone is like when you see these little um, developments happening in your areas. So you've got an M6 corridor or the M8 like drive. You see these little developments all over the place. 100 houses coming up, 500 houses coming here, and most of these developments are split between multiple builders. So they'll be like, I'm building 30 houses, 50 houses. All the builders will come together and they'll start developing over the area. Whenever there's a huge development like this, they're always allocated space by the council for a primary school, yeah. for a retail store, for yeah. all these different aspects that the council require. Like, it's not me, you, or anyone else who impacts this. It's the actual council. Yes. Saying, okay, we'll give you planning permission, but you you need um you if you, you will give you planning permission but you have to bring in a school yeah. you have to bring in a shop you have to bring in this so what happens at that stage is the council's allocated the land and then the builders or the developing company that owns the land that sold off they'll look to sell this plot of land relatively cheap mm. so if you know that all these builders are coming in they're spending millions of pounds to build all these houses. The football's coming to the area, but in five years' time is when they're going to require a local news agent. That's when you go on. That's when you want to get on the bandwagon. So you want to be looking at the area, what is there, buy that plot of land cheaper, off market, like, buy it from the builders or the developers, hold it, sit on it for two years, three years, four years. Once the houses are complete, they're all being occupied, the footfall's increasing, you see the primary schools getting bought, that's now getting, that's when we go in and we start building our retail store. So yeah. like, we need to create our opportunities. Yeah, and that's that's come across loud and clear. I love the fact that in a sense, you've got fingers and lots of pies. It's like, well, you know, so much stuff is moving online, so I'm going to set up online businesses. Uh, there's there's plenty of stuff that will never go online and therefore I'm investing in high street businesses. And that's, so it's seeing the opportunity. So, you know, sometimes it's a case of observing what the masses are doing and doing the opposite, but with good reason, you know, where you've put a lot of thought and due diligence into, into that. And, uh, and, and that's that, that eye for an opportunity. Once you start thinking in that way and you have that mindset, like I said, you see those opportunities pop up left, right and center. What's, yeah. So what's next for you? What, what what are you working on at the moment and uh, what have you got on the horizon? Yeah, so at the moment we've just had an offer accepted on service offices. So I know a lot of people are going to be like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this again? <laughs> it's exactly the same mindset again. So yeah. there's a block of service offices. It was a running business. Um, it was making good money. And now it's not making good money. Um, the, uh, the owner is, is a single owner. Um, he's got ill, he just wants to get rid of the property. So we thought, Do you know what, it's in the city centre, it's a nice property, it's actually a really nice looking property, about 8,000, 7,000 square feet. Office suites are already complete. It needs updated and refurbished. But again, for me, it was that same mindset of people have been working at home. They've been a lot of, I don't know, it's, it's, it's like a mixed view isn't it a lot of people are saying working at home they're getting a lot more out of their staff some are saying that they're getting a lot less out of their staff um you've got the opposite that people are not comfortable by working at the house but we've seen a lot what what, what i've noticed is there's a lot of frustration like people want to get out of the house they want to be out and about the the there's a lot of um bigger companies like 
government companies and HMRC, the council, so they're telling all their staff just work from home now, they've got a huge savings. So what I'm thinking about here is maybe making something like a hot desk system. Mm-hmm. So it'll be more of a place like we, if you, if we're doing, I've done a lot of research on this and you're looking at all these different companies, people are wanting to associate, like the work together, they want associates, they want to be working around people, they want to be around other people, they miss their colleagues. Um, they miss that interaction live with people and not a Zoom conference kind of thing. So I think we've done this for long enough, but people are going to want to get back into offices again. And then the small businesses like physiotherapists and chiropractors and photographers and things like these kind of people, like, they're always going to require a space. So what we've done is we've now took this office center that we're in, we're in legals at the moment um, and we're changing this name from a business center to office service office center is the way that they've marketed it to have flexible space. Yeah. So it's going to have, it will have different areas in the same building. So there will be areas which we dedicated for e-commerce. There'll be areas which we dedicated as hot desk in with a nice little cafe and meeting area. And it'll be like a shared premises. So Mm. it is a little bit of a risk, um, but I'm hoping that will pay off. Um, so we obviously we're picking up a lot less than what the market value was. Yeah. And then spend some money on it. And then it'll be two. We own the property. And then again, we are, we can run it as a business. But we've got a double view on this so as an exit strategy. Like for me, and that's something actually which is good that's come up, is we don't always just look at one exit strategy. Yeah. It's the same as everything. We train you on this one as well. You always want to have multiple exit strategies. Yeah. So for me... I've got two, like, so this business at the moment has got a £60,000 rental income. I've got a feeling that once we complete it, it'll be up to about £120,000 a year rental income because it's about 50% occupied. If we can get it to £120,000 income, the commercial value on that property will be a minimum of eight fifty nine hundred thousand minimum. So yeah. we've went from buying it from like three three ninety four hundred thousand, has now doubled itself in value in two years. So there yeah. isn't any business out there that you can buy a property and double its value so quick. Yeah. So yeah, with yeah. this one here, we're buying it. We know it's a down, dying business, but if we can revamp the business, rebrand the structure off it, rebrand everything, make it look good, get it back on the market, get the rental income up to 120, 140,000 pound a year, that market value is going to be such stronger that we can then look at refinancing it at that stage. So that's option yeah. one. Yeah. Option two is we could probably get about 10 apartments in there. It's in the city centre. There's no parking. We've already spoke to planning. They're desperate to revamp the high street. So anything which you're keeping a little bit of commercial and you're Mm. putting residential upstairs, there's something that the council are loving at the moment. So if you see the council, look, I really like, I've got this building. I'll keep retail downstairs on the ground floor, but upstairs I want to put residential. Most of the chances are they'll give you the planning application yeah. for that. Yeah. Um, so we could get 10 apartments in there. There's there's also a retail store at the back, which is a restaurant. That yeah. building is owned by, we know, the, ven- we know the, the vendor of that, but that's a ground floor unit. And this is how I ended up finding this premises. So, he phoned me, he's a pensioner, and he's actually a family friend, and he phoned and he said, look, I've rented out this property a number of times. Every tenant that comes on board screws me over. I can't find a good tenant. I'm fed up with the shop. 
it's huge. I think it's sitting at about seven. The ground floor must be about seven thousand square feet. Huge, huge wow. hardware story. So they've built into different restaurants. Always failed. Single story. Just remember that single story. And um, he approached us and he said, "Asad, I just, I'm just fed up. Like I just want whatever I can to enjoy my retirement, and that's it." So we've now agreed with him that look take the £1,200 a month option, we'll pay a monthly fee, you keep it. Once we get planning permission and things through in the future, we will then buy it off you at a fixed price. Yeah. But his building is actually attached to the business centre. Yeah. Our business centre is four-storey. Right. right. And his store is only a single-storey. Yeah. So for me, it's a 7,000, between seven to 10,000 square foot ground, right? which is attached to a four-story building. So my plan was obviously to buy it, build up the way, get more apartments in there. And overall, this corner block would just look like one large corner and it would probably be about 40, 50 apartments. Yeah. Um, and again, it could be apartments or if the business center does so well, we could extend the business center on a couple of the floors. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's just about like we're forward thinking all the time, like what can we do? Yeah. What kind of opportunities can we create here? Um, so that's what we're doing at the moment. We're in planning permission for 16 apartments for another site. Um, so we're, that's still about 50-50. It's been a long process. So yeah. it's, it's, it's been a two-year planning application for 16 wow. apartments. And the plan was serviced. So right mm. off the, the motorway junction, there's good, good transport links and things as well. We've just found out that there's issues with the, the, the plan has actually rejected our application. Um, so it's not always great, like two yeah. years, 50,000, 60,000 on it. Or like, oh, honestly, it's been one of the worst pro, uh, projects that we've done. Uh, not worst project, difficult projects is the right yeah. word to use. So the numbers work is great, but the planning just keep knocking us back. So it's been two years with the planning application been going on, and they rejected it on Tuesday. But we, we, we think that the planning officers need the decision is wrong. Um, okay. So we've got... So what's the process now? You appeal, do you? So we've got three chances of appeal. So we're trying to speak to the local councillors before we go to appeal to make sure that they're on our side um, because we did have a chat with them in the past and their chat to us was, we need houses. We require houses. There's a house says shortfall in the area. Desperately need to boom the economy. So that's mm. what their requirements were. So we're going to use this against them and say, look, you need houses, but you're rejecting our planning application. What is going yeah. on here? So yeah. even if we can build it as a residential, mm. we can. And then later on, we can use them as service accommodation. So yeah. we're, we're paying Section 75 and things. We'll be paying everything. Section 101 in England, Section 75 here. If you're doing it as residential, they're getting over £150,000 payment from us as well. So that's a huge payment. We already know from the education board that the primary schools in that area need funding. So we're getting yeah. a report off them as well. So even though all these people are working in the council, they don't work with each other. So yeah. what we're now in the process of doing is building up that report from the education department, the local councillors, bringing everything together and making a good strong proposal and then speaking to, we've got a good relationship with one of the planners in there. We never went to them at the beginning because we didn't want that conflict of it the existing planning officer saying all oh, right okay they've, they've bypassed me and went to someone above me and rejecting on that basis so we thought we'll just yeah. wait 
and be persistent and see what comes out at the end of it. So the plan yeah. is now to get him at the meeting with the councillors as well, go in for an appeal, and fingers crossed we'll get that application. Um, but it's not like it's not an application that we just stuck on. Oh, that's that that's a great site that would work for our for planning. Like we've went and we've had Kundal. Kundal's one of the biggest transport companies. They 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 do they're the consultants for like Transport Scotland and things. So they've been on board. There's tens of thousands of pounds we've spent on them doing uh, road surveys. We've had um, all the ground so reports done. Stage one ground report done. Stage two ground report done. We've had the waste collection management. So again, not just the council's waste department. We've had our own consultants with it, consult with the councils. So all of these people have gave us our reports and they're all happy yeah. with the proposal. So yeah. the plan is to basically go back to the planning officer and say, right, okay, we're taking this to appeal. These are our reports and we want to basically take it forward. Um, yeah. Fingers crossed we get planning. So uh, like some people, like that's the thing about new builds. Like you, we've, this has been in the pipeline for two years now. We've had yeah. to pull, we've pulled the project out of the app. We've had to remove the application, withdraw it twice. And this is now the third time that it went back in. And this time it's physically has actually been rejected. So the first mm. time, they always tried not to get it rejected. But this time they never actually gave us an answer. They just rejected the application. So we're hoping that on the on the report that comes from the council will give us more, yeah. more of an explanation. But you know what? That's part of the process, isn't it? Property yeah. investment is not easy. It's not simple. You need to understand what you're doing. You need to have the right team behind you. You need to have the right education behind you. You need to get the right mentors to be supporting you and educate yourself. Just educate yourself, read books, understand your economy because there's always going to be a hardship. It doesn't matter what we yeah. do. Absolutely. As I said, it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. Thank you so much for being so generous with your time and experience. Um, I know our listeners will have found that um, super inspiring and, and, and really interesting. If they want to keep in touch with you and keep track of these projects you've got on the go, um, what's the best way for them to, uh, to reach out to you? Yeah, they can reach out to me on LinkedIn or Facebook. Uh, we've got LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, Asad Tariq. So A-S-A-A-D, then Tariq, T-A-R-I-Q. Um, we've got our Instagram, which is AP Alpha Papa Investments. Um, and we're always on the PWS Facebook. We're there, so if you have any questions, we're always looking at them. So if there's anything that you need me to look at, just reference at Asad Tariq, and I'll hopefully reply back to you guys. Perfect. Asad, thank you so much. Um, it's been a pleasure talking to you and I will speak to you soon. Perfect. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for having Take me on. Well, what did you think about that? If that doesn't inspire you to explore the world of commercial property investment, I don't know what will. But in many ways, the even more important take home message from this episode is the mindset of abundance and opportunity. How can you fail when you don't just wait for opportunities to fall into your lap, but you actually go out and create them for yourself, even when you potentially have to move against the grain to do so? I took so much from my chat with Assad. I really hope you did too. As Assad mentioned, you can connect with him, myself, and a whole host of other active property investors over on the PWS community page on Facebook. 
as well as the opportunity to network and share experiences with other like-minded investors, we run a weekly Facebook Live, which is a great chance to learn from industry experts. Asab was a guest on one of our recent Facebook Lives. So if you like what you heard in this episode, why not come and join the conversation over on Facebook? As always, please like and follow the podcast wherever you get your podcast fix. Thanks again for listening, and I will catch you on the next episode. Thank you.